This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower and add-on to an existing burn building or connect setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, from Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot, to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at AffordableDrillTowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American Fire Service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service. Organizations such as the Joey D Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoche's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job forward. So check them out. Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers, and let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you, it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good, it's so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking community is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather, there's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give them a little pluck and tell them keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter owned businesses and especially family run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again ridgeway leatherworks check them out at ridgewayleatherworks.com and find them on all your social media channels Hey everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast today. Lieutenant Jason Fair, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Fire Rescue. Lieutenant, thanks for joining me today on the show. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I appreciate being here. So this is cool. I always like to give a little rundown about how I get to meet the guests. Sometimes I have no idea who the guests are and it's passed along. This is a guy that I followed his Instagram page for many, many years. Um, It was somebody that was, uh, Lieutenant, you were putting out Great content. I found that it was E4 Trucker was your personal page at the time. Uh, And uh, you were putting out some really solid content. It was some training content. It was uh, attaboys to your companies uh, through your career about uh, first do work, stretching good lines, throwing good ladder raises, all those different things. But it caught my attention. You and I had texted back and forth a little bit over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the other night, I, I don't know how our paths crossed. And I was like, hey, man, come on the show with me. I want to I want to hear about your career. And um, 
that's what I love about what I get to do. I get to talk to anybody I want to talk to. Doesn't have to be the biggest name in the fire service. It could be a guy from the smallest town, USA. It doesn't matter. Everybody's got a story to tell. This is cool, Jason. I'm looking forward to this conversation today because you've taken on a role now in your department that a lot of people would go, what? You went from the frontline suppression and now you're the PIO of the Albuquerque Fire Rescue Department. Yes, so sir. That's a really interesting thing for me, for a guy that loves being on the line, for a guy that loves going to fires, you know, and hands-on going to fires, yep. to, to be able to take a step back and get into the PIO role is really interesting to me, and I can't wait to dive into that. But before we get there, before we got to where you are today as the public information officer, let's talk about your background a little bit, because that's what sets you up for where you are today. 21 years in the fire service, 16 with Albuquerque. Before that, you were a DOD firefighter. You said at the Kirkland Air Force Base. Did I say that correctly? Kirkland with a T. Kirkland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yep. So talk to me a little bit about your early days, your exposure to the fire service early on, and then what that all looked like and how you got to where you are today. Well, uh, I think like anybody, my desire to be a fireman started when I was a kid, and it really just had to do with trucks. You know, my, my first love of trucks was a garbage truck. And uh, that, you know, quickly morphed over into fire trucks. And it's something I always wanted to do. I, uh, I, that's kind of how I got into this too, was uh, getting my CDL. I, I trucked over the road for a few years. And um, like I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I was working for a contractor driving a garbage truck on base. And we had a uh, Christmas party at one of the fire stations. We used their bay. And uh, that's right when Kirtland Air Force Base Fire was going from a half civilian, half military to all civilian fire departments that several yeah. openings. So that was December of 01 by May of 02, I think it probably still to this day was the biggest uh, hiring cadet class that Kirtland's ever had. So a bunch of us got hired. They, they put us through an academy, firefighter one and two. It was all so you were civilian, right? You're civilian was firefighter? Yeah. Civilian. And I mean, it was, we were riding a truck from day one. So probably a lot of how more rural departments work is you just weren't allowed to go inside. So uh, got our, you know, firefighter one and two and uh, uh, got trained. And, and, and the thing about DOD that's cool is you're always enrolled in some sort of class or doing something. So as soon as you know, you get firefighter one and two, it's time to start getting your engineering stuff. So, you know, ladder truck and airport crash rescue, all that stuff, engine, engine ops. Right. Um, then you start moving into some of the other ones. I got fire inspector there. And, you know, I mean, the, the training was nonstop. And um, as I mentioned to you earlier, I didn't realize how valuable that was until later on in my career, particularly when I, when I got my own truck and was in charge of that company. So, uh, yeah, did did five years at Kirtland. Uh, had the opportunity. Uh, Kirtland hired several, or uh, Albuquerque hired several lateral classes from Kirtland uh, over the next couple of years. So ten came over the first time, and I think a couple of years later, ten more from Kirtland came over. So that so, was that was your first exposure. Then was was the Air Force Base being a DOD yep. firefighter? There's was there any uh, history of the fire service in your family, or nope. was falling in love with garbage trucks, which got you to fire trucks, which got you to Albuquerque <laughs> to where you are today? Yep. So, so I've all been about the truck since the beginning. And it, even to this day, I mean, if you follow the page, I'm still all about the trucks. There's oh, I, I'm right there with you, man. Absolutely. I love, listen, I was the kid that played with my trucks in the dirt every single day as a kid growing up. Yep. Like, I loved all types of trucks. I mean, it was just my thing too, man. I, I totally get that. And to have that segue in, you hear so many stories about guys that are enamored with the fire service because they remember the fire truck driving through their neighborhood every day yep. or those guys that hang out on the front apron with the truck being washed. Like those are memories that you can't suppress. I mean, they, they are active memories that led a lot of guys to the fire service. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, oddly enough too, like th those days at Kirtland, something happened. I'd, I'd applied for a hazmat driver position mm. um, and something you have to test for and interview for and got passed up for the, the hazmat. Cause I was a hazmat technician. Um, at the time. And then, so I was like, well, there's a, there's a EMT basic uh, driver position open. So that's, I went and got my EMT. And at the time to get hired with Albuquerque, you had to have an EMT basic license. So that little kind of, you know, getting passed over for that hazmat spot actually paved the way for me to get on here at Albuquerque. So yeah, getting passed over for that spot and having, I, you know, went and got my uh, EMT license because EMT wasn't required out at Kirtland. So got you're it. just first responders. So yeah, getting that that little that little misstep, which I thought was a misstep in my career, actually turned out to be one of the reasons I was able to come over. Well, and I think that when you when you can look at it that way, I mean, not everything was meant to be, or or maybe it is meant to be, right? And so when you don't have a success, but you have a setback, or at that time you think it's a setback it could potentially be setting you up for something much greater and grander. Right. And in this case, it gave you uh, the future career with Albuquerque. 
when you were at uh, Kirkland and going through all of the training, if you will, you didn't really have a choice, right? Like it was kind of like expected of you in that, in that, uh, in that type of department, right. To continue to further your education. Did you resent that at the time? Like, were you like, Oh, I got to take another class. I got to sit through another classroom. Yeah. There was a part of me that said, didn't understand that. Didn't understand the push to always be involved in something. And, and, you know, is is it, is a young firefighter. There's that party that wants to be able to, to kick back and, and, and relax for a little bit, but yeah. not, not, on a, not on an air force base. You're not, it's, you're going to, if you're not enrolled in something, you're going to get enrolled in something. And, and it wasn't just the, the, the education side of it was drills. I mean, we drilled constantly, whether it was NFPA 1410 drills or uh, some of our airport flight line drills that we had to do. And, you know, uh, Kirtland has a lot of interesting things on it. a lot of labs. There's a bunch of munition storage. And so right. having to drill to deal with that kind of environment was sure. Was, was pretty, it was, we did some crazy stuff, like things that, you know, even looking back on now, I'm like, I cannot believe, you know, we, we were laying in driving a truck on air, you know, into a tunnel, like there was just some bizarre stuff that we did, yeah. you know, that, that was, that was just necessary. And like I said, looking back, it, it laid a foundation for me that was super important that, you know, and I think the thing with training is that there's got to be a why and you have to know why you're doing something. And as a young firefighter, that that why isn't apparent yet. It, and it takes a little bit of time to understand why we need to do some of the things that we need to do. And, you know, I mean, it's it's not up to us to agree with it or not. You know, you got some strong company officers and and some drivers that, you know, they're the ones that pave the way and, and make you understand why. And said, and even if they do their best to make you understand why, it, it takes some time to realize what, what it is that you're trying to do. And, um, you know, with that training, it's not just doing the training. It's it's the discipline of being able to train and understand why we're drilling and and being able to own your mistakes. Like that, that's the place for it. So, yeah, it was a, it, it was nonstop out there and said we didn't run a lot of calls, probably got 300 a year, you know, 400 a year, maybe. And, uh, you know, so you might might have a run a day, run every 24 hours. The other tough part about that was we ran a 144-hour pay period. So it was a 72-hour week. So 24 on, 24 off Kelly schedule. It was, yeah. Yeah. it was. if you woke up at work, you go home. And if you wake up at home, you go to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the easiest for sure. You said something that really piqued my interest. You said, own your mistakes. And when you're younger, right, and you were you were there at a younger age in, in your life, we don't like to accept mistakes when we're young. We don't no. make mistakes when we're young. And I trust me, I mean, it's only in the last five to eight years, I've started really understanding the importance of accepting your own mistakes and, and then building and growing from them. When we're young, it's super hard to do that. And um, you transferred over lateral transferred to Albuquerque, yep. which offered, I'm sure, a lot more opportunity. I mean, the, the DOD gave you a lot of training and opportunity there on that in that regard. But now Albuquerque offers you the boots on the ground, the, the firework, the medical work, the stuff that's going to make you a more sound firefighter. You got the background, the training, and now we're going to put that to practice, right? Correct. So yeah, I came out, uh, did the academy. I got assigned at Engine 13. So like I mentioned, we're, I was a hazmat tech. So as a probationary firefighter, I was actually able to bid to uh, uh, hazardous materials response station, which is for us station 13. And then at the time it was station four, that that hazmat operation has been moved to 17 since, but uh, see, so yeah, I did five years piping at engine 13, um, got certified to drive. And, you know, like you mentioned too, I had five years coming in, did another five years piping. And, you know, you kind of, you got five years on a pretty busy truck and you think, you know, it all, ah. you, you know, and then you take that next step and start driving and realizing all the stuff that you didn't know, you know? So talk to me. I just want to break down this conversation because I know we're moving ahead, but I want to, I want to talk about that. So many guys that transfer in, they have a couple of years under their belt. They go to a new department. Did you, in retrospect, looking back, did you have kind of a chip or did you have like, a, eh, I've been doing this already for five years, right? Or did Albuquerque have a method in place to handle with that? Because you had a lot of guys coming over on lateral transfers. Was there some type of culture or something instituted in you early to knock you back down that peg to, to bring you back up the Albuquerque way? Or did you have to learn that yourself? Well, so I, I mean, I was in the academy at 30 with, oh, with okay. fire. So I had a little bit of age under me, had a kid. So yeah. did I have a chip? I don't think so. And the, the academy does a pretty good job of removing all there chips anyway. Yeah. So and then coming out as, as at a big house, you know, and, and you learn pretty quickly just to kind of keep your mouth shut and do your work. There was, 
you know, station 13 runs engine, ladder, squad, and rescue. So there was 11 of us. There's a big house. So now I just keep your head down and work. Uh, I had a pretty easy probationary year. And I think some of that is because I had some life experience behind yeah, me. So matters. Some guys have, have a tough probationary year at, at 21 years old, and we're hiring 18 year olds now too. Wow. So just some of that, that, that lack of life experience can, can lead to a pretty difficult year if, if you let it. So no, I, it was, it was a pretty easy transition for me. Good. I, I really like what you said there, though. That was fantastic. So with that, then you, you get exposed to busy companies early on and um, and you find in your groove and yep. you like, hey, this is what I was looking for. I, I like doing busy work. Yeah, it, it was it was easy. Said so at the you know, I'd rather be in the bays polishing trucks and, and sharpening tools and that kind of stuff. So probation was easy, just kept kept busy. And then, you know, you do that for 11 months. You just kind of play that game. And yeah. uh we, we ran a bunch of calls engine 13. It's, it's not our busiest engine company, but it's up there every single year. It's usually right behind engine five and engine 11. Um, and it, it was a big house, ran ladder hazmat squad there. So it was a great place to, to kind of cut my teeth and, and, and kind of, like you said, kind of find my groove. Yeah. So what, talk to me about the mentorship you had early on in your career in Albuquerque, were there some bosses or senior men in place that kind of set the tone and the example of what you wanted to aspire to be like, because I know as a boss, um, and as you progress through your career now, 16 years with Albuquerque, you know, I started the conversation by saying I followed your Instagram page, and that's how we kind of connected. And your Instagram page was all about, um, you know, sound tactics, pushing your guys to be better, pushing the company to be better, doing solid work. And and so with all of that, that's got to come from some foundation from which you started. Um, it is. You yeah. know, I was thinking about this this morning that we're all – I mean, there's a lot of luck involved in in a career in the fire service. Like hmm. as a junior firefighter, you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know what bosses you're going to work for, what trucks you're going to ride. But I I consider myself very lucky. I I came right out. Um, then Lieutenant Lawrence Otero was was my uh, training officer and uh, said, I, I still work for him. I worked for him my whole career. I've been lucky in that. So he was a brand new lieutenant, but he was a guy that I never thought he was a brand new lieutenant. You know, he's a guy that took everything in stride. Um, I didn't realize he he had just been recently promoted. Um, and you know, we were off and running. Uh, I was lucky to have a, a, a guy like him to work for. He's not a micromanager. He's a guy that tells you to do something, but not how, you know, that's, that's up to you for you to figure out. He gave me a long leash and, and I ran with it. He was never, never, uh, you know, resistant about pulling back yeah. that. Leash. He would, he'd yank on it if he needed to, but I also got to pipe with a guy like, uh, Brian Jackson, who retired a, a firefighter. You know, those, those guys are few and far between these days, you know, that, and he, he retired off the, one of the busiest engine companies in the city too. Then it was engine 11, you know, it ran over 6,000 calls that year. That's a truck he chose to retire off as a firefighter. So, you know, getting to learn from guys like that, who, uh, Brian Jackson, he actually just walked by, I was talking to him this morning and, you know, getting to work with guys like that, you don't realize how valuable it is. Uh, Oscar Vasquez is another guy that was a firefighter there that, you know, he's where I, I learned a lot about taking care of tools and he was always out there doing stuff. And, you know, you just learn by watching a lot of those guys, not that any of them, you know, were, were necessarily out to train a rookie, but if, if you just sit back and watch, you, you see those guys that you should follow. And, and I was lucky to have some guys that I knew I wanted to follow. Yeah. So even to this day, I, I've, I, I drove for Lieutenant Otero then as a, as a, as a, as an officer on ladder 13, I got to drive for him over there. And then I, I came back and worked for him as Lieutenant as uh, under him as a captain at ladder five. So, you know, that, you know, just, I got lucky and landed where I landed and it's really helped, helped shape my entire career. Yeah. I, you know, luck is a funny thing, right? I mean, I believe, I believe wholeheartedly I actually wrote it down and said, there's a lot of luck in the fire service. And I do agree with that, but I also, I want to take that one step further. A lot of people don't, or don't want to reflect on themselves, but most people can find and make their own luck too. You know, you might've been placed in a firehouse, but it's what you do there that creates the luck that you have. And when you say luck, you mean you're fortunate to have exposure or abilities to be with certain people. And that can happen anywhere, right? It's a matter of, are you willing to open up your mind and be a part of what's happening there? Allow yourself to immerse into those around you. The one guy you mentioned that was good with tools and cleaning tools and always on the floor, like you could have turned that off and walked the other way and not wanted to be around him but there's something about you that creates the opportunity to be there for him to rub off on you. Right. And as, and, and guys like that are fueled by it. Right. If I know for me, when I find one or two kids hanging around 
and they're just kind of like watching, man, that excites me, right? Because then it's like, I want to buy into this kid. This kid's here for the right reasons. He's here to learn. He's here. He wants more. He's looking for more. Whether I'm the guy to give it to him or not, he's looking. He's seeking. He's searching for it. So let's give him more, right? Yep. And and I think you make a good point. Luck might not be the best word. Fortunate is is probably a much better word. Just that it helped, you know, fuel all those fires that were already there and just found some guys that were able to kind of, you know, be a catalyst to, to what I was already looking for. And, you know, and, and that's the thing about most of these busy houses, guys that land at these busy houses usually do it by choice and they usually stay there. I love it. So, you know, um, if you, you find that at the houses here. And so, um, it's, it's, I've been fortunate let's, let's, let's yeah. put it to, to work at some of the houses I, I have and being able to work with some of the guys that I have. It's awesome. Well, it certainly sets you up for a great career. And, and so where I was going with this, right. Is you have those people that were foundational for you and your upbringing through the fire service. And now that you're a boss, right. Before you, before you took on the public information officer position, you were a company boss, correct? Correct. So, you want to emulate and then put your spin on what you've learned over the years as a company boss. Talk to me a little bit about that transition from being a pipe man to sitting there in that right front seat. Talk to me about what that or what all goes through your brain, how that process worked for you. Was it a difficult transition? I'm just curious. I like to ask guys that question because everybody's a little bit different in their approach to how that transition looked for them. So we, we have the rank of driver here. So I had to test for, for driver okay. as well. I drove at engine five for a little bit. Is that a promotional spot? It's a promotional it spot. Okay. You have to promote uh, in those spots. It, mm-hmm. You got to take a test. So um, I landed at engine five for a while and then I was assigned at the alarm room. So me, the guy who I, I told you earlier was I came in for the trucks and I finally got my own truck and you know, that I'm going to, I'm going to do this right. And then I get assigned to dispatch. That was a, wasn't a hard pill to swallow. It's a huge, uh, opportunity and actually like looking back i learned so much in there that's helped me when i did make that transition to to being a a a company officer so i actually tested i was going to stay a driver for a long time i had no interest in ever being a a lieutenant so but i was like you know if i test for this i'm I'm eligible for for this lieutenant's test so that was after four years so um i was like i might be able to get out of the alarm room a little bit early so I, I took that lieutenant's test, but I did not do well enough to get out of the alarm room a little bit early. I, I served my full four years there, came back out, I drove at ladder 13 for a little bit and then promoted yeah. engine four. So, but I will say, man, getting into that, that right front seat, everything made sense. Like mm. I realized that that was where I needed to be. Um, I think just what I, my experience from Kirtland, uh, the five years piping on a pretty busy engine, uh, my alarm room experience, and then, uh, you know, finally promoting to company officer. Like I, I went to another multiple. So I, I promoted to engine four that they, they run engine ladder squad rescue chief. Um, when I promoted there, uh, we didn't have the rescue uh, or our transport ambulance at, at the station yet. So we were an ALS engine company. Okay. So that was a rude awakening as well. We ran everything by ourselves. A lot of the time, you know, our, our standard model is anything, BLS, we run engine company, anything Charlie Delta or ALS, you're going to get an engine and a, a rescue on that response. So being an ALS engine company, no rescue in the house. We were busy. We ran on everything. It was sure. you know, four to 5,000 call a year truck. Um, but being there with the, with the ladder, being there with a, a, a captain on the squad and a battalion chief, like it, it was another good place to be. I've been at multiples my whole career. We run a lot of engine rescue only houses, but I, I like the house with ladders and squad. So um, it was an easy transition. Um, I had some great drivers. I usually had pretty junior firemen. Um, and that's when actually really all that training and stuff that I had in the past kind of kicked in. Cool. Uh, I have, I have terrible anxiety and you know, that doesn't always bode well in this line of work, especially when you don't know, don't know what you're going to get. So the way that I really found to deal with that was making sure my guys were trained and the truck was clean and pretty much anything, you know, once the tones drop, you're, we have very little control over what we're going on. Right. So I really focused on making sure that my guys were trained and that the truck was dialed in. And, you know, beyond that, I didn't have a whole lot to worry about. I could just rely on my guys and, you know, we got the job done and and that worked pretty good. And, and still, still pretty much a model I used after being six years on the, on the company truck. It's, it's a, still a model I follow. We train and we keep the truck clean. I listen, man, foundational blocks. I talk about it all the time, but like simple things like that, taking care of your equipment, maintaining the apparatus, right? That sets the tempo for everything else. 
whether on a fairground, a training ground, in the kitchen, right? Yep, for everything else. And so I, I, I believed in it, and, and, and it's worked. Yeah. Uh, that it was a little bit more difficult at fives, I will say that, as busy as that truck was. The little things like finding time to train and keeping the truck clean weren't as easy as yeah. a truck running a thousand calls less a year, but we still figured it out and we got it done and said, the guys will tell you, and you know, that's something too. I think guys want to do a good job. Mm. And sometimes all you need is some expectations and it might be a little tough for those guys at first. And this goes back to what we were talking about. Maybe that junior guy, not understanding why you're doing it, but it will, and it'll make sense someday. And they'll look back and understand like, Oh, okay. I think I see why Jay was doing that. And, and it said, it still works. It, it's, it's a model that like he said, it's fundamentals and I've always been about it and, and it works. Make sure the guys are trained, make sure everything on the truck's ready to go. And beyond that, you know, we'll take whatever comes our way. You mentioned um, your chauffeurs were great. Your, your operators for you, right? The mm-hmm. engine um, you came across uh, and then you had some junior guys in the back. I want to talk about the relationship between the chauffeur and the officer. Mm-hmm. Um, typically they're more senior guys in the company. Uh, they got a few more years there. Um, it is in your department, it's a promotional position. So it is, uh, guys work and achieve for that position. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something about that relationship between the chauffeur and the, and the boss. Um, if you will, um, there is some magic that happens there, whether it's spoken, unspoken level of expectation for one another, um, but I love, and I find myself in that chauffeur position quite often. And I'm, I, I, I challenge myself in that position all the time because there's so much to be done and you take on so much burden of the company or uh, the burden that lies on the officer, but you can, you can uh, take so much of the burden off the officer by having a good chauffeur. Um, talk to me a little bit about that dynamic for you because you were an operator, you were a chauffeur um, and then you became a boss. And so, you, you sat in both seats, um, the importance of that relationship. So the, the, one of the first guys I had driving for me as a new officer was, was Jonathan Dean. He's actually a rescue Lieutenant over at rescue seven. Now it's another, it's a busy rescue. And he was, he was a paramedic. So I was a staffing model as a the driver on a ALS engine. It's typically the the driver that's, that's the medic. Oh, and okay. from, from day one, we had a great relationship. He knew what, what reports he was going to have to write or what calls he needed to take lead on and which ones I would have to take lead on. So, you know, you have that dynamic, yeah. I'm a higher rank, but he has a higher licensure. So there was never any stepping on toes. Like we learned how to work with each other and that was great. Uh, we got the rescue in and then uh, that staffing model changed. So uh, driver, Sonny Sefton, he's now a Lieutenant over at engine 13. We actually got in the same time. So, uh, you know, we had similar times on the job, but he was my driver, you know, so he was, he was definitely, you know, the, the next senior guy on the truck and, Man, Sonny was a guy that I never had to drag along. You know, I, I never felt like I was pulling him anywhere. He was always kind of kind of leading the show. Yep. Didn't have to to ask him stuff. Uh, it was a it was a good dynamic on that truck, and it, and it was easy to work. You know, and uh, said Sonny's now a, a company officer over at Engine Thirteen, another really busy engine, and, and he's a great officer. He actually interviewed against me for this PIO position. Is that so, right? Yeah, you know, and he's kind of kind of one of my guys, you know, and, and, uh, my right-hand man. And so we, yeah, we interviewed, uh, against each other for this spot. So Got it. that was an interesting dynamic, but I was glad to see him. He, maybe he'll take this over when I'm done with it. This episode is brought to you by the affordable standpipe prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing piece of training equipment. And I wanna hop into it real quick. It is designed with a four-inch manifold of high-strength galvanized Schedule 10 pipe. The cart and manifold are powder-coated red for a durable finish, meaning it's not just a talking piece. It's not something you tuck away on the shelf. This is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground. And so let's talk about that. In the classroom, there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop in front of the students, in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about standpipe and FDC connections, having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters, you wheel it out into the parking lot, and that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach. It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. 
You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field-adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew. Info at AffordableDrillTowers.com. Ask for a demo. Ask for information. Or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform, and Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFRSENTME. That's NFRSENTME for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. There you go. Well, I mean, I, the reason why I speak to this is because I, I appreciate and understand the importance of relationships like that on the fire ground. Right. But it's not just the fire ground. It's the informal stuff too. That's happening. Right. That guy that's operating the technician, the chauffeur, whatever you want to call them, plays such a crucial and vital role in the fabric of the fire service. Um, And it, it has so much to do with, um, the informalness of it, yet it's usually he's maintaining the tempo and, and lead of the company, which sure. gives the officer that breathing space he needs and allows him to focus on what he needs to focus on and not focus on the other stuff that doesn't need to be, you know, have the attention of the officer. So that's important. And then for you also to just circle back, you said you had a bunch of junior guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about the why and, and they're looking for the why. And I love, I had the moment before I wrote it down. I love that moment when it clicks, when you're a younger guy or even an older guy, me, I mean, I, I still have moments where I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, that's why, Oh, you know, I forget what it was not too long ago. Something dawned on me and I was like, I had no idea, you know? <laughs> and it was like one of those moments where I just was like, okay, now it all makes sense. 46 years in this world. And I just figured this out. Like, and I should have known that, you know? Oh, for sure. Like I, I went to FDTN. I'm um, hmm. sure you're familiar with them. That was, sure. I was, I was a pretty junior officer then. This had to have been probably five years ago. And I remember after day one of training, I, I sat in bed in my hotel room that night, contemplating my life. Life. Like, yeah. And right. I said, did I, am I meant for this? Am I in the right line of work? I meant was the, the most intense, realistic oh. training that, I mean, I, I had never experienced anything like that. And, and that's a guy coming, I've been in my share of fires, sure. you know, and uh, by day two and day three, you know, it solidified the fact that, okay, yes, I, I am in the right place. And this is where I need to be. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's almost by design. It was like, it was mm-hmm. like being a rookie all over again though. So yeah, like you said, at 44 years old and, you know, 15 years in the fire service and you realize like, oh, that's why. So that, that experience actually changed, uh, the course of my career, I would say it was life. It was career changing training. And so it even helped, I think with the why for me in a lot of ways, like there was, there was certain drills that I liked to run and, and, you know, things that were fun. And I always was big on trying to find something that was realistic. I didn't want to train in the parking lot or in the bed. I usually tried to find a building to go, go stretch on, or, you know, whether it was a vacant or get permission from an occupied dwelling one time we went and did some standpipe operations and charged it you know doing we were doing a simulated car fire in a parking garage and charged the standpipe not realizing it was connected to the standpipe in the other stairwell whoops we, we spent yeah we spent more time cleaning up than training on that one but that's kind of always been my approach to it like yeah. you know let's get out there and do something that's that's going to be realistic and valuable for the guys and so once going to FDTN, it really kind of changed that. that okay, well, this needs to be a little bit more real, realistic. And I, I think I had six probies in a row, you know. So basically my entire time as a company officer on a truck, I had a probie that I was training. And it's it's 11 months of, of probation. Uh, they have a, a task book they got to finish, seven months. Uh, I, the probie that I just left, I got she got turned over to my captain now. But uh, I just checked on them. They're just completing their seven month now. So 
being on busy trucks, it's also where a lot of junior people land. So, you know, probably the coolest part is you, you mentioned that, that kind of light bulb moment that some of these, these younger firefighters have is watching, yeah. watching them have that. And so, uh, at fives, we got to the point where it wasn't even really me doing the training anymore. It was one of my probies, Corey Archunde. He, I, I had him at fours and he's, he's now over at fives and the, the guy's just, a, he's a great firefighter. He's one of those instinctual guys that just, just does it. I, I compare him a lot to captain Otero. He's always just been a very instinctual yeah. firefighter. I think I've had to train very hard to, to be where I am. And some guys just, some guys just have it, you know, I just, get it. How their brains work. Sure. And so watching him kind of take the lead or or uh, another firefighter, Ubel over there, um, take those leads in training these guys, because guess what? They're better at it than I am. You know, like when you can stop and I can look back and go, these guys are better pipemen than I ever was. You know, they know more things than I ever did. Like time doesn't give it all to you. You know, I think we're training a little bit different now. Uh, oh, here at Albuquerque, we, we got a new smoke structure that we that we got um, that, that's online now. And it's not. Yeah no burn room in it, but we can darken it up and use it for search and VES and those kind of simpler drills. And then we actually just got a new burn tower or a burn building as well. We have our tower that we, that's always had a burn building in it. So, you know, uh, we're doing day two of suppression refresher coming up here in August. And so, you know, actually getting to go through live burns again, which is something I, I hate to say it, but this department is lacked is hmm. you, it was hard to find live burns and we, we don't do it on an annual basis. So now we're actually starting to get into to doing some of this stuff. And, um, it's kind of a place where if you're not running fires, you're not getting them. Yeah. So, you know, we are changing our training. We're changing the way that we stretch. Um, just some of these little things like, you know, being a follower of the of, of Instagram, there's a lot of good stuff out there. And some of it's for the gram, but some of it actually translates really well to the fire service. So uh, I think the coolest part about training some of these younger guys is watching them take off and run with it. That is a validation moment, right? Is when you when you instill set values um, across the company and then you watch the guys in the backseat take on the lead for promoting what's best about the company and the job to the next generation coming up, the next proby, like the proby that just is now in his first year after his 11 month or finishing his book after seven, however that works. And all of a sudden he's a year in and you get a new proby to the company and that old pro the, the now promoted proby to, to regular firefighter, takes the lead and sits down and walks them through things. I mean, that to me is one of those moments where you go, okay, it works. It's working. Like yep. the, the system I have in place, the things we're doing, the informal, the formal, it works because it's affecting change down the line. Yeah. And, and we, I mean, we're, we're a big department. We're, we're staffed at uh, just over 750 firefighters. We right. run 22, 22 stations, 22 engines, eight ladders, three squads and 23 rescues, uh, four battalion chiefs. So uh, we're a new station's coming online. We're constantly hiring, trying to keep up with retirements. Uh, we just set 19 to paramedic school. So we got to backfill those positions. So I mentioned to you, we're, we're a young department. And yeah. so it's not even our senior firefighters that are kind of taking on that role of being the mentor. Um, said, I was just talking to my former probie uh, firefighter, Duggar. And I told her, I said, you, you're seven months into this now. And the hundredth cadet class is about to be hitting the streets. Like, so this is something you're going to have to take on, or you could be riding in the back with one of these guys. It's their first day on the job. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's a process. And, um, and it's like I said, we're, we're hiring so much and we're, we're seeing uh, so much growth and, and trying to keep up with just, I said, retirements. And um, it, it's some of the young guys teaching the younger ones. And uh, that's when I think the drivers, like you mentioned, that the drivers need to dictate some of that pace and the driver should be the one kind of kind of setting the agenda for the shift. And then all the company officers have to do is accommodate. Yeah. You know, I like, to... Yeah. I like that. I was having a conversation this morning, actually with uh, chief Jeremy Lamy from uh, mobile departmental chief. And we were talking about, you know, he his network of chiefs across the country. And they're talking about how the job is trending younger. And we're, you know, with, with retirements and the job, the average age on the job is going down and, so forth. And how do we compensate for that? Right. And what does that look like? And you just said the same thing. I mean, the job is trending younger and younger and, and, you know, you don't have the senior people that used to be 20 plus years now might be 10 plus years in the job, you know, and, and, um, and that makes a difference because it's a whole different approach. It's a different way to communicate. It's a different level of experience and all of that. Right. And so it's finding a way to make that work in putting value in your people and allowing them to be hands-on with the next generation matters. 
right? For sure. It, yeah. it not only matters, I think it's it's just it's necessary. Yeah. It just I mean, I, I, I mentioned we're a young department. I think most of our executive staff is, you know, kind of just here hitting that 20 year mark. Yep. So makes sense. Seen, yeah. So it that that trends all the way down and just just keeps on going. So so let's hop into this. Let's talk PIO, the All right. information officer. So like I said, um, you and I met over Instagram, which yep. I think is pretty interesting, right? So um, you're probably right around the same age I am, I would assume. Like I'll be 40, 47 this month. All right. So you and I are right there. I'm 47. Yep. So our w- social media, I mean, we knew the world before the internet. We knew the world before Google and Facebook and all of that. So we've had to adapt and change over our our careers in life to uh, absorb and take in and understand the value of these different channels. You yep. started an Instagram page to promote the fire service, promote your people, promote training, right? Where did that come from? Because I have to think that that has something to do with how you found yourself getting to the PIO spot in a way is understanding the value of education through mediums of today. So it's actually interesting. So I, I mentioned I, I was in the alarm room for four years and I came yeah. out, got assigned at Ladder 13, driving for then Lieutenant Otero. And I really started that page is almost a way to decompress and just like kind of reconnect with the trucks and my love of trucks. And so if you look at some of the very early posts of that page, which have one or two likes, it's it's mostly just pictures of trucks in the house. Got it. And slowly it kind of started catching steam. And at the time I actually, I was teaching CDL part-time at the community college. I've, I've had my CDL for 23 years now. And uh, so a little bit of, it was a little bit of semi-truck stuff and me teaching students there. And then it was a little bit of fire truck stuff. And eventually it just kind of took on a different life and became solely focused on fire. And I got promoted shortly after that. So that's when you saw the the training aspect of it, it coming in. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was never intended to be anything other than something to distract me and kind of show off trucks. And Oddly enough, that page grew to a point that I think it definitely contributed to me getting put into this position. Like, it's not something I necessarily put on my resume, but enough people knew about it, including yeah. the fire chief at the time and followed along that that they knew that it was something that that could be useful in this line of work. It's evolution, right? Like we evolve. I mean, look at the, the beginning stages of the National Fire Radio was nothing what it is today. Right. Like we evolve. And if we don't evolve, and that's in the fire service and life in general, if you don't evolve, then you're stagnant. You're staying still. And, and, you know, you're not, it's not survivable that way. Right. So Mm -hmm. as you saw traction and, and it, you know, all of a sudden people are like, Hey, like you see what you're doing. This makes sense. We're educating, we're promoting the job and so on. So when that dawned on you, I guess the opportunity for the public information, because I can't imagine a guy from busy department, busy companies who loves going to fires, right. You've been a pipe man for years, First do stretching that line, putting water on the fire, get your ass kicked every tour. Right. I mean, and then to take a, a almost like an admin role in a PO and I'm not trying to, I'm not downside, I'm not belittling the position by any means. It's not what I'm right. doing. I'm really interested by it because you made comments before about the alarm room being in dispatch for a couple of years. And you said that was some of the toughest years of your career, but you said that that made you a better company boss right? Getting the background. I think being well-rounded matters. I think you need to expose yourself to all avenues of the job because it makes you better across the board as you go along and and promote or move up the line, or even just staying in the position you're in. If you're a lifelong Lieutenant now, that's okay, but it gives you a much more rounded view of the job and and what goes into the job, right? Well, 100%, like being in the the alarm room, it's one of those simple things. And, you know, it's stuff that every company officer should know anyway, but you know, they might not be able to recite what you're going to get on a first two single story, yeah, right? You know, or or what what's coming on a on a commercial structure fire. So just knowing that you have three engines, a ladder, two rescues, you know, a squad and two chiefs coming is is valuable information to have without having to think about it. It's just ingrained in you, right? Um, to be able to recognize, hey, this is a two story. I better call for a balance, which is going to get you to another ladder, unit seven, eight, and our heavy rescue. Like you know, it's it's those simple things that that are just kind of ingrained in you, which. I, I didn't even realize at the time was happening or just monitoring radio traffic. I mean, I, I listened to so many size ups. I listen to, and you can hear, you know, some fires sound terrible, but it doesn't mean they're going bad, you know, and other fires sound really great. 
and they're not going well. You yeah. know, it doesn't always paint the whole picture, but just hearing that that dynamic and and um, and in those kinds of environments or being able to pick up what, what you're hearing or what did they just say, you know, is, was, is a valuable tool when you're in a fire trying to listen to, you know, if ladder five's on the roof or what they're wanting for me or, you know, where are we at? So all, all it plays into it. And then, so it was, it was tough, but the part about being in the alarm room that's different about what I can do as a PIO is I couldn't leave there. I was tied to my console, yeah. you know, and, and here, if, if a fire pops off, guess what? I can jump in the truck and go. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things about being a company officer that I love the most, the two districts I worked in, Station 4 and Station 5, some of the most challenging districts in the city. Um, and I'm not speaking badly about those areas. Station 4, Wells Park, I mean, I, I love the area. And it's because it is a part of the fire department that that little area becomes part of you, you know? Yeah, and you start, 100%. You start owning a little bit of that neighborhood. Right. And you, you know the you know, the businesses, you know, where the parks are and you know your way around it. And, and you know, the addresses when they come in, and you know, the best ways to get there. And same thing at station five. I mean, I got there during COVID and, you know, uh, lots of homelessness, fentanyl changed the game around there. Um, you know, I went there to fight fire and that first year was a, a lot of no, overdoses and yeah. violence, you know, yeah, no fire, <laughs> no fires. Yeah, right. That, yeah. that first year was insane. And, um, and actually the call volume wasn't even that bad either. I said, ah, fives, you know, this, this ain't yeah. that bad. And then holy cow, things, you know, started turning back to normal and it, it turned on over there and and we fought a ton of fire. And, yeah. you know, it, a lot of them were outside fires and dumpster fires and car fires. But I think anytime you you can get a line in service and get somebody on air and fight some 100%. fire is valuable. 100%. And, you know, th there was a lot of talk like guys with deck, deck gun fires uh, or deck gun dumpster fires. And if we had a program on the truck, nope, you're going to stretch a line and get on air and put out that dumpster fire. You know, opportunity. Might, yeah. You might have to clean your gear, but it, it's it's just the basics and the repetition of being able to stretch a line, get your mask on, put your gloves on, and put out some fire, and then we'll clean up. And we got some cleaning to do, and we got to clean tools and fill the truck up. It's like it's a little bit of work, but we got to get a tank of water if we deck gun it anyway. So there's a lot of value in, in just a dumpster fire if you can look at it that way. That it's it's a great training opportunity. They're contained. They're generally pretty nasty, so you need to be on air, but it's just those little things. So um, coming off the truck has been different. So even in the alarm room, I was on shift. Uh, we worked uh, four shifts up there. So it was a 42-hour week, but we did day back then we did day 24 night and then five days off. Uh, now the alarm room is doing 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, five days off. So we mm. switched up a little bit, but after 21 years of being on shift work, I'm on a 40 now. I work Tuesday through Friday. And then of course there's a lot of on call. So uh, being married 17 years, me and the wife are still adjusting to it. My kids are a little sure. bit older. So there's some value in being on the 40, but I still do miss being on a truck. Um, sure. I talk about that own, owner ownership of the neighborhood and yeah. you know your district and your first due. I'm trying to kind of look at this as like, now I get to do that with the department, you know, and I get to kind of own a little bit of everything that they do and try to get it out there and, and promote what they're doing. So now I don't just have a district. I have 22 stations. I got to try to get, get that out. And not just, not just the, the stations, there's support, you know, operations that we have in our fire marshal's office, the Academy staff, like it's, it's a lot. So um, I do still miss being on a truck and I do plan to go back. I probably won't retire out of, this, out of this position, but I mean, the opportunity and um, I mean, honestly, the social media part of this has been the easy part. It's keeping up with I believe that. and emails and obligations yeah. and meetings. Like I have a, I have a meeting after this, you know, and it's like, that's, you don't have to really deal with that as a, as an engine Lieutenant. And right. I said, in our department, we have captains as well. So captains run the station. I just get to run a truck. It's, it's kind of ideal. And I really don't have a lot of interest in, in promoting to captain, but um, you know, what's really cool. I want to break this down a little bit because a lot of people are not familiar with the PIO position other than, Oh, that's the guy that uh, he's on the news for fires. Mm -hmm. He's the guy that uh, talks about the department. We send him to functions, you know, things like that. What people don't realize, and you and I were talking about this before we hit the record button, and this is what I really love about the position. And this is why I think, like the training academy, we don't want to hide people there. We want we want proactive people in our training academies pushing the envelope on training and making our people better, making the department better. We need the same 
in the PIO office. And I'll tell you why. And here's my take on it. And, and Jay, obviously, I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, from your side and perspective, because you do this job day in and day out. It's one thing to educate the public at a fire scene or about training or fire safety, uh, smoke detector programs, things like that, whatever. Speaking at the college, speaking at the high school, going to city hall, whatever, whatever those functions are. That's what everybody expects the PIO to do. What I think is really interesting is a dynamic PIO also has the ability to educate our own department, educate our people, educate our people about what and what departments do, how important the alarm center is. Right. You talked about how those were tough years for you. Now you're in a position where you can educate the rest of your department about your experiences there because you're in that position to be able to educate through the public information office, as well as promoting and building recruitment and retention. You have the ability through social media, through traditional means to show people how good the Albuquerque Fire and Rescue Department is, how good the people are, the men and women that serve this department. You get to craft the narrative and educate those around you, whether the public or your own people, about who you are. And that delivers dividends, whether it's the local kid that sees something that you put out on the local news or a flyer that comes from your office about recruitment and retention. They follow the Instagram. They see the camaraderie, the fellowship, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the fires, the community-oriented, you know, mind, civic-mindedness. Like, all that matters, and that all comes from your office. So you have the ability to make and do whatever you want there to promote the department. Well, it's true. And, you know, uh, fire chief, uh, Emily Jaramillo is, is who I work directly for. And, you know, she's also given me a long leash. I told you earlier, I don't usually like being micromanaged and, and yeah. I'd, I'd rather be pulled back than have to be pushed sure. in to do something. And so she's a big part of the reason I'm here too. Um, if she wasn't the chief, I don't know that I would have put in for this position. Um, and, and like you mentioned too, there's a lot that that even isn't seen by the public that I think I have the opportunity to do. Like, let's face it, not everything's meant for Instagram or, or Facebook. You know, there's right. some stuff that needs to stay internal and needs to stay internal for a reason. And you mentioned some of those training opportunities and just getting to go on fires or uh, some of the stuff that people send me or talking with some of these companies is it. I can be a, a buffer between you know maybe the training division and the field or i can recognize something a lot of times before it even goes there and i right I'm in a position, i think being a company officer's lieutenant um it's not out of line for me to correct something or to mention something that might need to be corrected um and and it's, like i said there's some there's some of these things too like there's fires that we have that that don't need to be seen on on all over social media but we need to talk about them as a department because yes. guess what things don't always go right that was another thing that i learned on my E4 trucker pages, there was a big desire out there for people that wanted to see things that didn't go right. Mm -hmm. Like everything's 100%. so polished all the time. And so I started posting some, some of the training evolutions that got a little ugly and that we had to run again. And, 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 you know, that was good hearted and, and lighthearted enough that we could do that because it was training, but you know, there is stuff that happens on scenes that doesn't always go as, as we intend it to go. And so all that we can do is try to learn from it. So I think one of the biggest things I want to try to affect in this position is being able to improve training. And I said, there's the, there's the, the field training component of it. And there's things that we can do and produce. I have a great office that works here with me and we have cameras and, you know, we can do a bunch of cool stuff and our ability to edit things is awesome. But th there's a lot that I want to make a push on, on improving the way that we do things internally. Like on the medical side, we have a, a really great quality assurance program and, and how we can self-report and correct things on medical scenes. And we're just in the infancy of trying to get that same kind of program implemented on, on fire scenes, whether it's, you know, why did you stretch an inch three quarter instead of a two and a half? Or, you know, how come you went to the Charlie side instead of going through the front door? Or, you know, just some of these questions that come up and it doesn't mean that it's wrong, but, you know, as long as you have a reason for it and we can talk about it. And those are like, I think some of the things I'd, I'd really like to highlight. Board ups are a huge um, a thing over here, especially in Fives District. And we're kind of looking at how we attack those. Like I mentioned, a lot of times on a board up, a Charlie side attacks makes the most sense, especially when we need to cut a bunch of boards off to, to make access. So there's just some of those little things I think that we could uh, make some effective changes on that, that aren't necessarily meant for social media. So yeah. um, it's not that there's the public side of it, but then there's yeah. also the, the, the inner, inner departmental side of it as well. Was that the, ex was, was that some of the challenge and excitement you were looking for is realizing that in this position, you have the ability to uh, push the conversation? 
to help. It is. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's it, talking with uh, South Metro's PIO uh, Hurst. He's going to be I, on in uh, two weeks. He's coming on. He's coming on the 22nd. He'll be on the show. Awesome. Well, yeah. like talking with him um, early on, he's the one that kind of reminded me that like you control the narrative. Like, you know, there, mm. there's, there's some media requests and stuff that we need to get out in a timely manner. But once that notification is made, the, the narrative is ours to, to release. Um, and so we don't need to rush a lot of those things, but yes, I, I think getting to push that narrative about, I, I would like to, to highlight the department and just the fundamentals from stretching lines and putting out fires, highlight the EMS is a little bit harder to, to highlight. I've been figuring that out just with some of the protections for patients and that kind of stuff, but we, we do great EMS here and, and let's face it, we do a ton of it. You know, I think 88% of our total call volume is medical, um, yeah, I think total 80, just shy of 9,000 fire calls last year out of 109,000 calls, you know, so it's a big spread on fire versus EMS, but there, I also don't want to take away from those companies that still do a lot of fires, particularly oh, 100%. Like fives, 11s, 13s, 12s. Um, you know, if you look at some of those trucks in a department that's doing, you know, 10 to 12% fire calls there, these guys are running above 30% fire calls. So, um, yeah, just to be able to, to highlight that in a way, I, I think Stockton's done it very well. I love mm. the the helmet cam videos that they put out. They're not edited. Mo most of them are straight through. They're very descriptive on what they're doing. And those guys are just fundamentally sound. You see that. That's something I'd like to highlight here. We just don't have enough helmet cams yet. Uh, we're still looking at a bunch of policy we got to um, kind of oh, change yeah. in order to be able to, you know, navigate some of these these waters. And Well, uh, you said it before too, right? It, the chief, the the current chief uh, is supportive of what you guys are doing, which helps your mission, right? Correct. A lot of times, uh, you know, administrations can handcuff the PIO or the information that's being pushed out or or the messages that are being pushed out because it doesn't fit the agenda or it, there's too much risk or liability involved. They're not willing to push the envelope and so on. So when you have an administration that is willing to try something different, be a little more current, you know, kind of buck the, the traditional trend. That's where I think you see a lot of, you'll have some failures along the way. You'll have things that don't work, but overall, I think when you're willing to try and, and install different types of delivery and, and content, that's where you're going to see some success, man. And, um, and you have the abilities then to really educate through a realistic eye, um, which then paints a real accurate picture about who you are and what you do which in turn betters the department, I think, in the service that you provide. 100%. Yeah. And it's, as I said, being able to explore some of these uh, different, you know, mediums that we haven't used before is going to be huge. And like you said, it, we're going to fail at some things too. I think the other thing about, and that goes for anything in the fire service, whatever, yep. rank, whatever role, whatever truck you're on, there is going to be failures. There's no doubt about that. That's, that's part of the game. So I, I just don't think we can, the approach can never be to not do something because you're afraid it might not work. So you know, we got to see those things through and 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 pick up the pieces and try something else. But I, I think we're heading in the right direction. Sounds like you are. I mean, you got a lot of things that you're looking to do and and some excitement and opportunities. How does it work for you other than being in the office? Do you have a take home? Do you do you respond to obviously you respond at night? You, you weekend? I have, a, I have a take home car. I got a Chevy Silverado. My gears in the back. Um, still waiting to get my SCBA, but. I got a small jump kit for EMS. I got some gloves on there. I got an MDT. So I have the ability to self-dispatch. If there's yeah. something I want to go on, I, I put the, the code in the computer and it puts me on the event. Um, I don't have to ask the alarm room anymore. Um, we're working out some things on fire scenes um, about who is it best for me to, to kind of follow or who am I going to be accountable to? So we're working through some of those things yeah. so that I'm not just running rogue on on the fire ground, taking pictures, maybe where so, I should be. And So is this a newer position for the department or you're just, making the position more current and more active than what it once was. No, we, we've had PIOs. I said it in my career, we've had, I will be the fourth PIO. And okay. in that time, I think we've had six fire chiefs. So hmm. there's been fewer PIOs. It's not a position they turn over very often, but no, we're trying a lot of new things. I said, I, I don't think the PIOs ever had an SCBA on their rig, you know, right, what right, I mean? right. so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if I'm not jumping um, as much as I, 
thought I was going to coming into this job. I thought I was just going to junk calls all day long. You know, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Right, there right. was a lot of office work and, and calendars sure. I had to meet and, and emails I got to answer, but um, I, I have made it to some fires I wanted to go to, you know, specifically like some fatal ones. I think sure. that there needs to be somebody there. And so I've gone after hours. And so, yeah, no, uh, the fire chief has not restricted me in any way of, of what I can or can't go on. And are you modernizing the position though, from what it was? I'm trying to, and, yeah. and, you know, all that my hopes is, is that I can leave this office a little bit better than, than what I found it. And, and that being said, just, you know, a little bit of organization, which is not my strong suit. I am still struggling through some of that and getting I some get in, in, in templates yeah, built. And that, yeah, that, that so somebody has a rig that's, that's ready to go with an MDT in it and, you know, some, some life safety gear and, and uh, they can jump in and, and hit the ground running. Yeah. No, that's exciting though. I mean, to be able to take, because the other thing too, is that the mediums for which we can deliver, whether to our own department or to the public at large is constantly changing. And so you have to educate yourself also as to where the delivery channels need to be. You need to form relationships with news organizations, the the churches, the synagogues, the city leaders. I mean, there is a tremendous amount of work that goes into this position because you need to be on that level of trust and trust comes with a smiling face and a firm handshake. And, and so I, I can understand how much goes into that position. Uh, and it's not just going to fires, man, as much as you're like, Oh, you get to go to all the fires in the city. Like, that's awesome. You're like, yeah, uh, too bad. I'm stuck in this meeting or I'm meeting this person, but relationships matter. Right. And I, you have to build that trust within the community. And so that the community then, trust in your message and who you are right yeah and you know i, I will say the the media has been great um you know they know you're green coming in and I, yeah. I would tell them that and and they're not there to make us look bad right you know they want us they want a good working relationship just like we do because if a story pops they want a part of it and so kind of learning learning a little bit of that and it's talking to the media is not as scary as it used to be um or doing something like this might not have been something i, I would love doing even, you know, as many as four short months ago. Yeah. But, you know, I think that I'm also in a position that I, I can talk about all this stuff pretty easily. I, I've been doing it long enough and I've, I've been on enough trucks and I, I've run enough calls that I don't, I don't think it's hollow uh, on the things that I speak of. So that that's made it a little bit easier and it's just like anything, it's, it's going to take a while. I mean, how long does it take you to get comfortable in any, any new position, you know, yeah. at least a year. Right. So, you know, come talk to me, maybe, in six or more, seven more months. And, and, you know, we might even have a better conversation, but you know, things, things are going good so far. And I feel like I'm finally starting to catch a stride, but it's, it's still, it's a whole new world. Well, I'll tell you, I'd rather a guy from a busy company be the PIO of my department than some guy that just is taking positions along the way. Right. I talked about that earlier. We so often hide people in different positions in the department that we think are places for them to hide. And, you know, the PIO to have a, a busy engine company boss or truck company boss now in that PIO position who is setting the tempo and the in educating the public at large about who we are. I want somebody that's been there and done that. That's crawled that hallway that stretched that line. Right. Because you can put a uh, you can put a real good spin on what's happening by educating the public by dumbing down what firemen do but educating the public in a way that they can understand the passion and commitment that goes into the job that we all do. Um, and that requires somebody that, that that's been doing it every day in busy companies for sure. And, and 100%. And, and, and the fact is I still love this job. You know, yeah. it's one reason I, I took on this role. And um, that being said, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's all been easy either. There has definitely oh, been I... some, some bumps in the road and there's only imagine and yeah. And, and struggles and, and being at a, at a, on the trucks that I've been on, we see a lot of bad stuff. Um, I'm a firm believer though, that if we show up and, and we're prepared and well-trained and do everything that we could have possibly done, we got nothing to hang our heads down about, even if the outcomes aren't, aren't what we intended them to be. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that kind of goes all, all the way back to that approach that we've already started with about just fundamentals. And it's, you know, we all experience bad stuff and we all have those calls that we, you know, show up and maybe we freeze or said, maybe you made the wrong call. And those are the ones that haunt you a little bit more than the ones that sometimes we do everything right. And, and the outcome just aren't great. So, um, you know, I think that does lend a little bit of credibility to this position, just being able to talk about some of this stuff, honestly, and, and with some background behind me. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I think you're hundred percent spot on with all of that. Um, I wish you nothing but tremendous success with, 
your new position and uh, where you're headed with it. I think it's great, man. Um, thank you. Jason Fair, man. What a great conversation today. <laughs> I appreciate you. Um, you know, I'd love to grab you back down the road. We'll, we'll, we'll continue the conversation about, you know, as you get more uh, settled in the position of PIO. Um, Google your name and you come up on different newscasts. I did that this morning before we started talking. Um, so it's good to see you getting your presence out there and uh, getting comfortable in those shoes because it's not easy when somebody turns the camera on for the first time. No, no, it's not. And I'm still working on my face a little bit. I, I got kind of the scowl that I've been notified about, but I'm working. I'm trying to soften it up a little bit, but uh, no, it's, it's been good. I'd love to come on back. I still feel like there's so much to talk about. I probably could have gone for another hour. So this was fun. Uh, I'd love to be back. Yeah, for sure. Albuquerque, New Mexico, excuse me, Albuquerque, New Mexico, fire and rescue. Lieutenant Jason Fair. Thank you, brother. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Stay right here. Uh, I'm just going to sign off the podcast. I'm going to come right back to you, bro. All right. Sounds good. Cool. Everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. The hour goes quick. Jason Fair, a lieutenant now serving as the PIO for the Albuquerque, New Mexico Fire Department. A great conversation, a, a good insight into what the PIO does, the responsibilities they carry on. And for so many of us, we just we don't really fully understand all the avenues of the fire service and the different positions that everybody serves. So it was a great conversation. And like I say, take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse and talk about it. Cause when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy Nashville fire radio.